Welcome to Sex Ed with DB. I'm your host, Danielle Bezalow. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the podcast. If you love and support the work that we do, join my crew on Patreon to win amazing prizes like our adorable merch, exclusive behind the scenes content, private sessions with yours truly, and incredible sex toys. Go to patreon.com slash sexedwithdb to join my crew. Get discounts at all of my favorite brands at sexedwithdb.com. And follow us on Instagram at sexedwithdbpodcast and on TikTok at sexedwithdb. If you want to partner with us, email us at sexedwithdb at gmail.com. In a world that constantly encourages you to change, it's bold to just be yourself. Sexual expression and satisfaction are different for everybody, so rather than conforming to others, focus on falling in love with who you are. Lion's Den sources the very best products to help you find what you like and help you feel confident expressing your sexual desires. You can get 15% off in-store and online using code SEXEDWITHDB at lionsden.com to begin exploring everything about yourself. Follow them on social at lionsdenadult on Instagram and TikTok. When it comes to anal sex, what comes to mind? If you're a beginner like so many of us out there, maybe you feel scared, unsure, or just plain uneducated. Future Method can help with that. Founded by a doctor and anal sex expert, Future Method develops science-backed products and non-judgmental doctor-led education to maximize pleasure, eliminate injury, and empower the way people choose to play in the bedroom. They even have a blog started by the gay community and now for everyone that puts education at the forefront on topics both popular and taboo. Use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off at futuremethod.com. Finally, we can travel again. If you're like me, I bet you want a little pleasure while you're away, but can't fit your entire sex toy collection in your carry-on, huh? Say hello to the Magic Wand Mini. Born into such a famous family, this little wand has quite a reputation to uphold. Challenge accepted. Offering big power, multiple speeds, and unsurpassed quality, the full-featured Magic Wand Mini is more than simply a smaller sibling. It's here to create a legacy all its own. Want to win a Magic Wand Mini for your next trip or staycation? Go to sexedwithdb.com slash magicwand to learn more. Excitement, intimacy, anticipation, contentment. Uberlube lets you feel all the things you want to feel when it comes to sex with yourself and with a partner. It makes sex better for everyone by reducing friction and increasing pleasure. Recommended by leading doctors, Uberlube is body-friendly, free of parabens, preservatives, and petrochemicals. Plus, Uberlube is latex compatible, so it's safe, effective, and pleasurable to use with condoms. Try Uberlube now with code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off at uberlube.com. Understanding how to love ourselves and our bodies can take practice, time, and energy. Freya believes that it's really important to invest in loving the body you're in, and pleasure plays a huge part in that. I know it does for me. When I'm able to access my pleasure, I'm able to feel and see my body in a whole new way. My pleasure empowers me. That's why I love Freya. It's more than a razor and a vibe. It's a movement to practice loving ourselves with intention. For those who haven't tried a vibrator, this is a great first-timer product to venture into and explore your own pleasure. Learn more about Freya and their self-love movement at highfreya.com slash sexedwithdb. Good afternoon, Poppy. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Thank you so much for being here. I am absolutely thrilled to chat about your work and your incredibly viral, very groundbreaking article that recently came out. But before we get into that, I'm wondering if you can introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background 
as a journalist? Yeah, so I'm a journalist at The Guardian newspaper at the moment. I'm mostly covering the abortion beat here in America. Before that, I was in London for a long time. (laughs) I guess I've been doing it for eight years now. So, yeah. Long time. And are you... Uh, are you from London? Uh, tell me about like your your background growing up. Yes, I grew up in London and randomly, well, not randomly, but sort of ended up doing journalism without having expected that I was going to when I was 24, I think. And The Guardian is, is sort of the place that's, that's nurtured me and grown me in my career. So. Amazing. Awesome. Well, thank you again for being here. So it sounds like the stories that you typically write about are abortion. Has that always been the case? Uh, Like, how did you get passionate about this work? I mean, I've always had a really varied career. When I was in London, housing was my big thing and the welfare state. I started as an opinion writer, like a columnist, and then I started editing the housing section. I've had a number of different kind of writing jobs and editing jobs in my career. I guess inequalities has been the thing that's kind of guided all of the different themes within my writing and, and, you know, especially issues that have this intersection of like race, class, gender, which abortion obviously like mostly impacts women of color and, and poor women. And um, so it, it's, you know, it's sort of in line with my interests. But yeah, I've I've only been doing this beat for the last six months. So it's also very new to me. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense how your interests are aligning and intersecting with abortion and reproductive rights and reproductive health. Let's just dive right in. A few weeks ago, you wrote an article that has caused a major reaction and discussion. Could you tell the listeners about your article on what pregnancy tissue really looks like in early pregnancy? Yeah, so I worked with some doctors who I had been working with as expert sources for a while on on different pieces. And I worked with them to publish some images of what, basically what an abortion looks like when you are 10 weeks pregnant or less. I came about with that idea. I had been working with a few of these sources early on, doctors who use this tool that they basically perform abortions uh, through this method called manual aspiration. So it's kind of like a syringe that very gently removes pregnancy tissue. It's a lot less invasive than a lot of other kinds of abortions. And, and one of the benefits of it is that it keeps sort of everything intact when it gets removed from the body. And so I worked with those doctors. I'd know, I had known that they had been sort of documenting this tissue and people's reactions to it for a while and because it's just kind of so revolutionary for a lot of people when they see what it actually looks like often people are expecting to see like a tiny baby with hands or a little fetus come out and so you know once I was aware that they they were using this method and that they had images of this you know I know in my reporting obviously across the country the way in which this fetus and even early pregnancy tissue is like massively humanize not just in this country but across the world and like in textbook images it's really hard to find anything that resembles this like mucus like or like egg white like imagery like usually that's just not what you see and considering that you know in so many states almost half of states in the U.S. are now trying to ban abortion 
even in these incredibly early stages. And a lot of the, the rhetoric that's been used to do that has been this kind of personification of this tissue. You know, I knew that it was going to be a really powerful piece of information to put out there. So the piece was essentially, it was images of, of pregnancy tissue that's actually been removed in an abortion at, at six, seven, eight, nine. I think we had 10 weeks in there as well. And uh, like with a little ruler for scale and we published it with a very short amount of text, just kind of describing what you could see in the images. And yeah, and then it just, it went crazy. Yeah. Can you, for our listeners, just describe what that does look like? You kind of shared a little bit, you know, you mentioned like mucus, right? Like what, how would you describe what these images really look like when an abortion happens at six, seven, eight, nine weeks? Well, it's very surprising, even to people who are pro-choice, even to people who have had pregnancies themselves, even, you know, to some people who I've since spoken to who've had abortions themselves and have actually seen this kind of tissue come out of themselves. I think the imagery from not just the anti-choice movement but also just in general the kind of like enthusiasm there is around pregnancy and the way that materials and literature you know I almost see it as like a metaphor it's like easy to talk about the heartbeat at six weeks even though doctors know that that's not a heartbeat it's like a very powerful metaphorical moment often sometimes for people when they're pregnant to hear that electrical activity on an ultrasound and it's easy to personify it and be like oh my god I heard my child moving or I heard a heartbeat and so the images are very surprising in that they look like I mean I feel like a better way to describe it would be to tell you what gave me the idea for the article in the first place which was that you know I was interviewing this source who had on like a very different story a while back and we were basically talking, we, at the time, we were doing some interviews about miscarriage and abortion care. And I was trying to get an understanding of like, the way that the two, the line between abortion versus a miscarriage is, mm. you know, it's actually quite blurred. And it's not as distinct as people think. And in this conversation, the doctor was telling me that, um, you know, they use this, this manual aspiration method, and that often, they have people who come in who have been maybe carrying a lot of shame. Uh, maybe they haven't told their partner. Maybe they haven't told their friends. Maybe they haven't told any other doctors that they're planning on having an abortion. And sometimes there is a moment that, you know, that the doctor was saying that they felt that the patient actually might benefit from seeing what's come out of them. Because as I said, they're expecting this kind of tiny person and she said there's this kind of, there's often this moment when the tension in the room comes down because the patient looks at this thing, which in the very early stages, like it looks like some mucus, like a friend of mine described it as like chopped garlic, like, you know, it really doesn't. And then later on, it's more like kind of egg whitey. And the doctor was explaining that often patients will look at this and will say like, are you kidding me? Like, this is what I've been feeling this huge shame over and this is like this is what I'm being like demonized for mm. so I guess to help with a description of what it looks like I would say is just like it, it you know the images I think were surprising to everybody because it it really looks 
like something verging on from from the beginning like sort of separated like mucus like it looks like something that would come out of your nose maybe to later on like you know more kind of like you can see like the tissue more like forming and becoming a little bit more like solid but still something that doesn't resemble a tiny baby right I think like egg whites are the best description that I can think of kind of like when you crack an egg on the stove and when there is like kind of clear white mucusy like happening on top of the the yolk sometimes like that to me like separate from the egg just if you were to see that on a clear plate is very similar to these images right yeah which again very surprising for me as someone who is an avid activist of, you know, abortion rights and education and information. I have never seen these images before and concur with the people who you're sharing about, about lessening that shame, lessening that idea where we've been tricked essentially through media and through messages to think that, you know, at six weeks through this very misleading name, the fetal heartbeat bill or whatever, you know, there, there's no heart, uh, there's no heartbeat. And it, it's literally mucus. And that's really the reality of what is going on. And I just want to give a shout out to the MYA network who created these images uh, doing really, really important work and education and just transitioning a little bit to the backlash, right? That I'm sure that you've also been experiencing. Again, like it's very empowering for, at least I'll speak for myself, for me as an advocate and activist in this space, seeing these images, but obviously I'm sure it got some people very angry. And so I'm wondering why you think that the backlash was so severe and like, why have so many people accepted that an eight week embryo you know, looks like a mini baby, even though that is completely not true. I think there's a lot of different uh, reasons for the backlash and a lot of different reasons why this information might be shocking or even offensive to people. So like, first of all, I knew, we knew before we published this piece that it was going to be dangerous and that there was going to be a huge backlash and like you know you just mentioned the MYA network that that released the photos and like not enough credit can go out to those doctors who put their names out there and decided to like attach their details to this imagery because it's dangerous dangerous being an abortion doctor in this country people have literally been killed like doctors have literally been killed by extremists so you know and just as a side note, before we even published the piece, those doctors had to like install extra security into their doctor's offices and like, you know, try and make sure that information for them to get like doxxed was like harder to find on the internet. Like, you know, it is a really dangerous climate. It has been a really dangerous climate for a long time in America to be vocal about providing abortions in the first place. but. Secondly, you know, I called like a bunch of friends, you know, different people in journalism before we published this piece. And when when I sort of thought it would be a good thing to do, saying like, hey, what do you think of this? I haven't seen it before. I think it could be really powerful counter to some of the information that's already out there. And I had like so many friends 
that work in the journalism industry that were like, you realize you're going to get crucified. Like mm. this is going to be, this, this is like, people are going to find your address. People are going to send you hate mail. So I think there was always going to be backlash. I think that the anti-choice movement in America is incredibly well organized. It's a very well oiled machine. A lot of it is like, it's, <laughs> it's not, the extremes of that movement are no longer on the margins of like American society. They're in mainstream politics, they're judges. It's so common that some of this misinformation has become law and has become mm. the way that we just talk about abortion rights in America, right? You, you can see that even if you look at things like the way that we talk about abortion now, we discuss this all the time as a newsroom. The discussion has already shifted to talking about exceptions for rape and incest and life of the pregnant person those are actually really really extreme narrow exceptions for abortion and already because of the way that the narrative has been shaped nationally it feels more normal to talk about those things as if they're like wins somehow right mm -hmm. so anyway um i think that the anti-choice side is very well organized however i don't think it's just that i also think like there is a great emphasis in this country and in other countries on excitement around pregnancy, on like celebration of pregnancy, on getting people to feel attached to and excited about what's developing inside them, perhaps without necessarily thinking about whether like what's going on outside of their body means that it's the right time for them to have a pregnancy or whether they want to have a pregnancy, right? And so even without like the anti-choice side, even without like, you know, as I mentioned earlier, like your doctor is probably not anti-choice who's like letting you listen to the ultrasound and describing the first noises that you hear as a heartbeat. But that's like a very common thing that happens because it's like a way of making people feel excited about this phase in their life. Right. And so... I also think that some of the backlash is to do with the fact that like the imagery that we see is one very specific perspective of early pregnancy. And like, to be clear, right, if you zoom in on a mega microscope into what you're seeing in this tissue, it will look very different. You know, like the same way that if you zoom in on a sperm and egg, you'll see like a little tadpole that's swimming around, which is absolutely not what semen looks like, right? When you look at semen, it's not humanized in that way where you think of it as a little swimming tad tad tadpole, but if you zoom in, that's what it looks like, right? So I personally think it's super interesting that we focus on that mega zoomed in image and we use that, that mega zoomed in image and even the way that you, that you hear some textbooks talk about what's developing, you know, they'll say, I mean, like, I can't remember the exact weeks now, but like, they'll say, oh, at six weeks or at seven weeks, this is developing, which will become the optic nerve, which will eventually become the eyes or like tiny little buds are sprouting, which will eventually become hands and like limbs, right? But then none of those are those things yet. There is no, there are no eyes, there are no hands, there is no reception to pain these are ways in which I think we find it easier to understand personify make sense of what's going on inside 
the body in these early stages of pregnancy. But I think that those images are so common and they're the image that you see that a lot of people, you know, understandably are kind of shocked. Like, they're like, what do you mean? This egg white is what a, yeah, you know, I had people say to me like, oh, but I, I've been on Reddit forums saying that, you know, and I had an abortion and I didn't look because I was told it was going to be like a little fetus and I was scared. And these weren't people that, you know, these are people that have had abortion, mm-hmm. but it's like the way that it's spoken about. So I think that that's also a big part of why there was that response. Sorry. And then the final thing that I'll Please, say Please keep going. No, this is good. The other thing that we worried about, you know, when we were working on this piece, obviously as journalists, we're not thinking about, you can't really think so much about how people are going to react when you're thinking about the truth and information. You know, it's the service job. Your job is to like make sure people know the facts. You can't, if there's a riot one day and it's by a group that you identify with, you don't not report the news, right? You just have to. So the reaction piece of it is not really up to us as journalists, but there was like a big question within the network over whether producing these images looks like you're saying that one type of abortion is acceptable and another type of abortion is not acceptable. Like Mm. pre 10 weeks, this isn't yet a fetus. So that's okay. Right. So that's one thing. And then the other thing is like people have deeply personal experiences of losing pregnancies or of miscarriage. Some people, they didn't want the, the pregnancy in the first place and they desperately hoped for a miscarriage. And when it happens, it's a hallelujah moment. But for other people who, you know, maybe were really attached to what was developing inside them, I think there is an understandable piece of saying actually what you expelled was some egg white, which can feel like really dismissive and that doesn't reflect the emotional journey that they went through. So I also think that, I guess what I'm saying is I think there's some nuanced reactions that aren't just to do with being anti-choice to this imagery. Yep, yep, yep. I have so many (laughs) thoughts and feelings. Um, I mean, first of all, I just really appreciate like the well-roundedness of your answer and your thoughts. I I completely agree in that like, sure, maybe to some people it could feel like you're, you know, glazing over the fact that no, like this was a wanted pregnancy and I had all these ideas about my eventual baby and that's hurtful to think that these were the images that we're using. And at the same time, I think that, as you mentioned, the facts are the facts. Whatever kind of projecting that families or parents are doing about their own, you know, pregnancy are valid and all part of messaging, as you mentioned, that we're receiving about our culture. And it's very exciting if we want a pregnancy for it to be pregnant and we're already picking out names and already painting the room. And there are all these things that are part of that. And so I can completely understand this idea that, you know, that's harmful for folks' mental health if they're feeling like this is not my experience. And the reality is that that is what that looks like. And it's equally important for us to be very clear about the facts and about the fact that it's a both end. Like this is what it looks like and your feelings are completely understandable if this is something that you really wanted and something that you were really excited about. And I think, you know, just to 
to close on this little piece before we move on in terms of this whole like mini baby thing. I think like when we think about anti-abortion activists and you're completely right, they're a well-oiled machine. They will show up at every rally. They will be the first ones there and the last ones to leave in order for them to, you know, make their opinions and their version of the truth known to every single person who will listen to them scream. And they bring imagery with them that is false, that is made up. And that is what gets picked up on the news, in articles, in Reddit, and what becomes fact for people, which is actually fiction. And so I think it's so important that, you know, pro-abortion activists meet these anti-abortion activists with signs with those images on them of like, actually, this is what that looks like. Like we as the left, like need to be equally as dedicated as screaming the facts that, you know, anti-abortion activists as them, as they are basically. And I feel like this is that moment we have the, you know, we have these images that are widely, I don't know, now that your article has gone completely viral, you know, at least in my bubble of social media, like people are talking about this more than ever before. And I think that that is a good thing, even though obviously it's very nuanced, very complicated, a lot of thoughts and feelings that people might have about them. Want to win your very own Magic Wand Mini? If so, keep on listening. Ooh, it's kind of fun to have your attention. Okay, but let's get into it. Magic Wand, aka the best-selling wand vibrator of all time, has partnered with Sex Ed with DB to give some Magic Wands away to some lucky winners. How can you participate and enter to win? We want to hear your best Magic Wand story. Maybe something funny or silly comes to mind. Maybe the Magic Wand unlocked a world of pleasure for you like it did for me. Whatever it is, we want to hear your story. Go to sexedwithdb.com slash magic wand to learn more and see how you could win your very own magic wand mini. Let's talk about lube and condoms. Something important to know is that oil-based lube is not to be used with condoms because the oil can cause the condom to break or tear, which would defeat the purpose of using it. Thank goodness for Uber Lube. Uber Lube is latex compatible, so it's safe and effective to use with condoms. But wait, there's more. Dispensing two drops of Uber Lube inside a condom and a measured pump outside will increase pleasure. What are you waiting for? Use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off at uberlube.com. When it comes to sex, most of us have never had access to proper education, especially when it comes to the butt. This means both beginners and experienced players have had to turn to porn, friends, or Reddit to figure out how to properly prepare, play, and care for our butts. This doesn't sound safe now, does it? That's where Future Method comes in. Future Method was founded by a doctor to help people have informed, healthy, amazing sex because we should feel good in our skin and when we're playing with our partners. If you want to learn more about how to bottom safely, go to futuremethod.com and use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off their amazing products. Five reasons you will masturbate more with Freya. Number one, masturbation increases the release of endorphins, which decreases stress, tension, and depression. Number two, masturbation can help you sleep better. Number three, masturbating can help strengthen and tone your pelvic floor. Number four, Masturbation can lessen period cramps. Number five, masturbation can empower you to know your body better and know what feels good. Freya is the innovative premium razor and vibrator in one that gives you an amazing shave and the best clitoral workout ever. 
Use code SEXEDWITHDB to get 20% off your Freya. And for a limited time, you can enter to buy one Freya and get one for your bestie for free. Enter to win at highfreya.com slash sexheadwithdb now. Let me tell you about one of my favorite sex toy shops out there, Lion's Den. If you haven't heard about Lion's Den before, I can't wait to tell you all about them. Lion's Den first opened its retail facility in Columbus, Ohio in 1971. That's right, over 50 years ago. Since then, they have grown to more than 50 outlets throughout the U.S., building its reputation on high-quality products, low prices, and a knowledgeable sales staff. Their staff are also sexual wellness experts who can help you find the perfect toy. One of the many things I love about Lion's Den is that they advocate for a sex-positive perspective on intimacy and sexual well-being and strive to break the stereotypes and stigma surrounding sex by providing comprehensive educational resources to empower everyone to enjoy life to the fullest. They're simply amazing. Lucky for you, Lion's Den is giving my listeners an exclusive discount of 15% off your purchase in-store and online with code SEXEDWITHDB at lionsden.com. What are you waiting for? Get your amazing Lion's Den toy now. Okay, so let's like, you know, take it back a little bit. I want to hear a little bit about, you mentioned you grew up in London in the UK. What was your own education about abortion? Like, what was your sex ed like? Did it include abortion? When did you even really learn about abortion yourself? I mean, my sex education at school, so I grew up in the 90s when, you know, people were still kind of arguing about whether or not there should be sex education, well, whether you should be allowed to take your child out of sex education in school, for example, in London. The version of sex education that we got, I went to like a girl's state school. So I guess the relevance of both of those things is that it was a state school. So in in the UK, there's a national curriculum for state schools. You don't get to like pick and choose what you teach depending on, you know, the views of that school. So you had to have sex education, but also it was a girls' school. It was quite religious. And a lot of our teachers, I think, you know, weren't the most upfront about having conversations about sex. Like I remember one teacher in our science class when we were in year nine. So that's when you're like 14 years old saying to us, like, basically the best contraception is abstinence and what we should do is if we ever think about having sex we should just think about her and it will put us off so much that we just will never do it (laughs) I mean she said it in like a very funny way um uh I won't I won't say it because she you know it included her name but let's say her name was Miss Smith she was like whenever you want to have sex just think of Miss Smith oh boy (laughs) so I guess that was my formal sex education although you know also like now in London and as I got older it's it's more common that like people will talk about sexual pleasure and they will talk you know that we did still learn about contraception we still had to learn about condoms and you like put it on a banana and you Mm -hmm. still had to learn about like you know I mean it was very heterosexual focused but you still learned about like dental dams and like gay sex like you still it I think it was a lot uh, more advanced than a lot of you know other places in the world including America um (laughs) in in some parts of America but I think my in terms of abortion I don't think we really spoke about abortion at school I think my best sex education on abortion was just 
to do with being a young woman like um there was a there was an age that I got to or a period that I got to you know from when I was like 14 until I was in my early 20s when you just realize more and more of the people around you your friends start having abortions or they start they realize that they're pregnant and they end up having a miscarriage and that you know they're like thank god because they're like 15 and they don't want to have a kid so I, I do remember really having this strong realization in my teenage years that this is a very very common thing I don't think my my parents would never have spoken to me about it I imagine my mum may have had an abortion because it's common Mm. but it would never be something we would have spoken about at home but just judging from the people I knew you know it kind of aligned with the numbers that um you know that (laughs) that quite a handful of my friends had an abortion or or would have had one if they had needed to yeah yeah so it sounds you're right it sounds like your sex ed overall was better than many people receive um and yet even when it came to abortion, though, that was more of like a real life experience of like what was going on around you and what you were kind of learning about through other folks, which I imagine is quite common. I'm wondering, like in your experience of, you know, being a journalist, what are some other like misunderstandings or like falsehoods other than, you know, the idea that an eight week pregnancy is a little baby. That's the the main one that we've discussed today, which is false. Once again, what are other, you know, misunderstandings or falsehoods about abortion do you see when you're reporting on it? I think misinformation about the female experience is just really rife everywhere. And that's something that I have noticed, you know, since before I was focusing on the abortion beat that's like a huge thing I'm just bringing that up as an aside because I think it it relates to the general lack of knowledge that there is in this country and again in, in many many other countries about like fundamentally the vagina female sexual health uh, reproduction all of these things like I did a massive like a really big like investigative feature a few years ago about people having forced hymen checks in, in in America. So like this myth that your hymen breaks when you lose your virginity and the way in which that myth just continues to haunt people in this country because people want to prove that their daughters or their wives Ugh. or their girlfriends are virgins and they do this hymen checking thing myths around the clitoris female prep pleasure female illnesses like endometriosis whether or not they exist like or I think that there is just if there's one thing that I've learned throughout the time that I've been a reporter is just when it comes to women's health when it comes to women's pleasure when it comes to women's sexual autonomy or bodily autonomy there are just so many myths and a lot of them are to do with the way that we try and control the female body or decide what the female body should how it should respond to things and how it feels things and yeah contraception is like a massive one of them a lot of people are still told by their doctor when they go on the pill that they have to take a week off to have their period it's like actually not true but no. this is like a part of um how backwards <laughs> our med- medical establishment is that we we still buy into that theory 
yeah, it, it's really widespread. It's not just about abortion. I have found it really shocking and surprising being on the abortion beat in America, some of the types of misinformation I hear. Like the number of places that I've been to where it's even hard to report sometimes because I'm trying to show both sides on a, an important ballot initiative that's going to decide on whether or not abortion gets enshrined in a state's constitution. And on one side, a lot of the things that people are saying to me are wrong. And so we actually can't publish them because they're misinformation. Oh, but wow. it's kind of important to publish them because it's also important to show what people believe. So like the number of, number of people who've spoken about like, like live dismemberment, uh, that's like a big thing that I've heard while I've been out reporting, you know, that, that it's common for babies to be dismembered while they're living during an abortion. Like that's a really common thing. The number of people who believe that it's really common to have very late term abortions in this country and just because people simply choose to. Like that's not actually true. Abortion is incredibly restricted in most states compared to, you know, other places in the world like actually like America is not an incredibly permissible country when it comes to abortion and yet people think in so many places that I go to that people are having abortions at like seven months because they change their mind the number of people who believe that abortion is used as a form of contraception and what I mean by that is that they think that it's the, you know, the most common reason for people having an abortion is that they just changed their mind and decided not to use a condom um, and then had to deal with the consequences. And like, you know, so many people don't realize that like a huge proportion of the people who have abortions are already parents, that they're um, like middle-aged, they're not 15 year olds. So many people that have abortions are having them in the first week, 10 weeks of pregnancy. I mean, the more extreme ones, as I said, they're always kind of shocking to me. The fetal heartbeat thing to me is very shocking because it's said in news all the time now. You just, you know, as news that that is not, I know it's been turned into law, but we know that there is not a heart at six weeks. And yet it's so regularly mentioned as if that's, that's what you're hearing. And sometimes, you know, sometimes I'll even speak to doctors who, are used to this terminology. It's not that they validate these theories, but that will use this kind of language because it's the norm. That's, that's the other thing that I see a lot that I find quite surprising. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I think this is an interesting exercise, right? To like think through, right? This, these people who you're talking to maybe who are saying this bullshit about live dismemberment of babies, right? Like if I was in their head and truly believed, right? Like that that was happening, I would be just as passionate about these issues perhaps, but we know on our end that that's false. And so I'm trying to figure out, I mean, as a journalist, like you said, you like journalists strive to be the most non-biased folks in order to get the story across. And so I wonder, you know, like, how do we change minds? 
how do we uh, get folks the information that they need where we can educate them? I don't know. I'm just, I'm, ha- I'm having this like moment right now where I'm thinking through like, okay, well, where do those folks get that information? They get it from their churches, their communities, their friends, their Facebook, their right-wing news sources. And so if folks are so entrenched in those things that they're not able to to hear our version, which is our truth and the truth with science and with medically accurate information, like how do we get them to know the difference and to listen? Well, I think, you know, I never try and change anyone's mind. When I'm doing my job, I very much feel that it's my job to kind of, for who I am, to not be any part of the discussion. Like, I see my job as facilitating somebody uh, to to tell the truth about how they feel exactly as they feel it without encumbering that. So like, you know, let me think of an example. If I'm talking to a politician and they are harassing me, my reaction as a person who is Poppy Noor, who grew up in London, who is a journalist in New York, might be to say, you're being an asshole right now. Sure. But my job as a journalist is actually to let them portray themselves as they are. It's to not intervene in that behavior and to try and... You know, I mean, if I need to ask them questions and they're being obstructive, then that's a different question. But an element of what my job is, is to tease out of them exactly what they think. And so, you know, when I interview people, when I'm on the road, when I'm trying to understand people's viewpoints, I'm just trying to ask questions to make sure that I understand exactly what they mean. And the question that I have later when I put it on the page is like, it's not responsible as a journalist to simply republish things that are misinformation because someone said it. So Mm. how do you counter things that are people's opinions with fact without being biased? That's the challenge on the paper. That's tough. Well, I think in, in terms of your question in general, though, what I do think is that, you know, in this, like, I think it's very common now to view fact finding and fact writing as bias and to view it as like campaigning right Mm. that if you I mean it's not true that the 2020 election was stolen that is a baseless claim it has been investigated by all of the mechanisms that we have to investigate that they may be imperfect mechanisms the democracy and the way that people vote in this country may be imperfect but using the tools that we have, that is a baseless claim. And yet somehow it feels political in nature to call that a lie or to say this did not happen. Actually, you know, the job of the journalist is not, there's like a quote, I can't remember who it's by, but you know, like it's something along the lines of, if somebody's saying my neighborhood in Brooklyn is flooding with rain and somebody's saying it's totally dry. The job of the journalist isn't to give both opinions. It's to go to the fucking street and find out whether it's raining or whether it's dry. And so I do think that putting out the facts and, and digging into what the real story is and publishing it is so often seen as like campaign work. I mean, in a way, people use it as campaign work, I guess, because 
the messages are so blurred and there's so much misinformation. It's so normal for politicians to lie. It's so common for people to repeat like total lies and for that to be used as the basis to like make sweeping policy changes. And so I think it is really important, you know, to do work like this where you know you're going to be under huge fire. Those doctors knew that they had to, you know, install extra security in their own offices, that they worried about how it was going to receive, they worry about their reputation. And yet, you know, we had discussions about that, by the way, like the process, how long it took to to come around to publishing this piece. It wasn't easy because the doctors were saying to me, well, people are going to say that we're murderers and they're going to say this, I'm going to say that. And you have to be honest at that stage. You know, you have to say, yeah, people are going to say that. They are going to say that. People are going to target you. People are going to say really horrible things to you. Do you think the information is still important? It's okay. You don't have to put your name out there. But, you know, these are the pros and these are the cons. And I do think that that's incredibly powerful for not just journalists, but doctors, lawyers, teachers, nurses to put their heads above the parapet and to tell the truth about things that people would rather, uh, you know, that some politicians and some huge corporations and some religious groups would rather everybody not know about. Oh my God. I really, really admire you and really admire the work that you're doing. And I'm very, very appreciative of you being on here and sharing your story. Um, I definitely have learned a lot today and I'm sure that our listeners have as well. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Where can our followers find you and you know what's next for you? Where can they find me? Um, I think my Twitter is just Poppy Noor. I think that's what it is, P-O-P-P-Y-N-O-O-R. So they can find me on Twitter. What am I doing next? Well, I'm going to be in... Uh, Mich- oh, and they can go on my Guardian page. It's just I'm Poppy Nor at the Guardian. What am I doing next? So on Tuesday, I'm going to be in Michigan for the midterms, just looking at the referendum that they have, trying to enshrine rights to abortion in their state constitution. I've also been following some of the key races there because it's a big swing state to see whether they're going to be they're going to flip on abortion, and I will be covering all of the ballot initiatives across the country on, on Tuesday and Wednesday, seeing how they go. So that's those the big, the big next things coming up to me. And um, I hope everybody reads and follows. Yeah, this episode will be coming out after the election. Um, so okay. folks who are listening, I'm really hoping that you voted. Uh, we will be doing a lot of work prior to the election right now when we're recording this on our TikTok, on our Instagram, to ensure that folks have information as to how they make can make a plan to vote, uh, how do they get information about what's on their ballot. So yeah, just once again, thank you so much for being here today. And again, thank you for your work. Thank you. Our creator, host, and executive producer is me, Danielle Bezalel, aka DB. Our co-producer and communications lead is Catherine Cohen. Our co-producer is Brian Peoples. Our social media intern is Sarah Kelly. Our music theme is by Hook Sounds. Thank you so much to our featured guests, partners, and our listeners. Want to advertise with us? Email us at sexedwithdb at gmail.com. For more sex ed content, follow us on IG at sexedwithdbpodcast and on TikTok at sexedwithdb. See you next time.